Famous scenes with drama queens and heroes Acted out there on the silver screen I Come grab a seat, popcorn is on me Welcome to Meet Me at the Movies. Noel T. Manning II here with Thomas Manning. And yes, this is Thomas Manning. Uh, you, the, the mail came in like crazy, giving ideas and options for what we could do to this guy's hair. And he decided, you know what, I'm just going to get a haircut. So I got the weed whacker out, and, and we had a little bit of fun uh, over the course of the weekend. So what, what do you think? Are you happy with it? Was it a weed whacker or was it a machete? It was you know, one or the other. Yeah. It was, yeah, okay, it was a machete. Okay, yeah. I, I, I did. I, I, I brought my, uh, all of my horror films to light. I did wear the uh, mask, uh, the hockey mask, and then I also put on the uh, Michael Myers mask. So I switched it off a little bit. Uh, when I was working on the ears. Are you happy with it? I'm feeling pretty good about it, yeah. Uh, I mean, I can't complain that uh, I've never had a bad haircut experience. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, good. yeah. So, uh, if yeah, it's a big dude, Mr. Tillman's not too sure about that. I think Tillman's had a few. I mean, he might have had one <laughs> most recent time he went to the barber. I don't know. That's yeah. right. Uh, and, and I will say this. I was not trained by the Cleveland Community College Barber School or the Cosmetology School. I am not a trained uh, hairstylist. But if the price is right, I will get out the machete and we'll see what we can do. We do talk movies as well as hairstyling right here on Meet Me at the Movies. And uh, i got to say, the Emmys, uh, they recently happened. And uh, there were not a, not a lot of surprises, but I did want to do a quick just kind of recap. And then I'll let you kind of chime in on some of your thoughts. Uh, some of the big winners on uh, Netflix, without a doubt, as far as a, a network, a streaming network, 44 wins. No other network came close. I think HBO and HBO Max combined only had like 19. Uh, the Crown, uh, seven wins. Ted Lasso, we love Ted Lasso, four wins. Uh, the Mayor of Easttown, three wins. And the Queen's Gambit, multiple wins, including several technical awards. Any thoughts about any of those particular uh, series? Uh, so it's, it's well documented that I'm not nearly as well versed in TV as I, as, as I am in film and movies, uh, but I do recognize Queen's Gambit. That was one of my favorite shows from last year. And then, of course, Ted Lasso. We loved that one. And I heard great things about it, the mayor of Easttown um, with uh, Kate, Kate Winslet yep. in the lead role for that. It's, so actually, that. it's just Kate Winslet. It's not Kate Kate Winslet. I'm, I'm sorry. I want to make sure we get right. So if you're looking it up on Google, it's just one Kate. Just one Kate. All right. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. No uh, that. That would have been a terrible error to make. Yes, it um, would. Yeah. So I might put that one on my watch list to get around to at some point. Um, at some point. It's, it takes a lot of time for me to get into a TV show. Yeah. So. Well, and The Crown also uh, back during the Critics' Choice Awards last year, I got to interview Gillian Anderson, and I have been in love with her work going back to The X-Files, and she uh, showed up uh, in, in with a win here as well uh, with the Emmy. So if you uh, didn't get a chance to check them out, uh, Greg Tillman uh, watched it, I think, from start to finish. And Greg, am I right that you said this was probably not the best uh, overall, as far as the way the, the show was a stinker, but the awards were pretty cool. You you appreciated the awards, but the show itself, the way it was written, the way it was produced, pretty much a stinker. Uh, one of the worst Greg Tillman has ever seen. Uh, so, what, would you give it a, a D rating or a, a D minus or an F? What would you a D? What are you saying? A, maybe a D rating. Okay, a D rating. Uh, yeah, D D rating 
for the uh, broadcast itself uh, of the Emmys and the way it was put together. But the awards, uh, pretty happy with those awards. And you and I have our picture made with Ted Lasso. That was pretty cool. You interviewed one of the Ted Lasso what, uh, composers? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, the composer, uh, Tom Howe. And uh, so it was great to talk to him about his work. I talked to him a couple weeks ago, and now here he is. Um, Still, still composing on an Emmy Award-winning show now. Yep, so, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go. The Emmys. Just a quick, quick recap. Uh, if you uh, did not get a chance to check that out, uh, there's a movie uh, that Thomas Manning invited me to go see with him recently, and I honestly heard nothing about it. It, it one of those films that flew under the radar, and uh, the probably the first time I can remember going to a theater and knowing nothing about it, nothing about the movie except it starred one person. That's all I knew about Cop Shop, starring Gerard Butler. That is right. So this is uh, directed by Joe Carnahan. He directed the, uh, the film adaptation of A-Team a few years ago with uh, Liam Neeson, if you remember that one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah I think uh, uh, Patrick uh, Wilson was also in it as well. Really, really solid, uh, you know, B-action movie um, about an A-team. <laughs> oh, anyway, um, so Joe Carnahan is known for these kind of you know, gritty crime dramas with some, um, some dark comedy in there as well. And that definitely translates over into Cop Shop. Um, and Gerard Butler, another kind of B-action B movie, um, king of modern B-action movie cinema. Um, then you have Frank Grillo in there as well, who we see pop up in a lot. We've seen him in uh, MCU and Falcon and Winter Soldier, or excuse me, just um, Captain America the Winter Soldier. Right. And right. Uh, here he is in this. Um, got a fantastic. He looks completely different in this, yeah, too. Yeah, fantastic hairstyle. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think they almost seemed like an Antonio Banderas yes. type hairstyle they, they were uh, modeling no, him after. Yeah, yeah, and the film as a whole is um, very much inspired by Rodriguez, Robert Rodriguez, I would say, and some Tarantino in there. You have this kind of lone wanderer um, who you know he's he's in trouble, but you don't know what he's running from. Um, and then um, more and more layers are peeled back, and you see yeah. that there's um, you know different tiers of the mystery, and um, you know it starts out this just one guy stumbling about kind of through the desert. And uh, turns into, in some cases, almost a um, a uh, like political thriller. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the way I describe the the genre, it's it's one of these incredible hybrids: is action, suspense, mystery, neo western, uh, and it's got all these thrills. It's also got some very laugh out loud moments. And I mean, you and I both really, truly, we were we were laughing out loud in the theater. I thought some of the characters were incredibly memorable. Loved some of the one-liners, and uh, Blake Snyder is someone that I've been a fan of for a long time uh, as far as dissecting story, and he looks at film uh, as it relates to story genre, and he would call this, honestly, a monster-in-the-house story genre, and we and I, you and I both talked about that uh, as well. I thought the film had a lot of energy, uh, some just a lot of fun, some great shootouts, and probably the craziest psycho balloon clown since Stephen King's It. Uh, really a, pro a pleasant surprise. Uh, Toby Huss was worth the price of admission. Uh, he was absolutely amazing. If you give me a spinoff prequel starring this character, and his character's name is Anthony Lamb, but he goes now by Tony Lamb, uh, I, I, would, I would pay to see that kind of backstory. All right, so yeah, most of the characters in this film are pretty bad people. They they don't really have a great set of morals, and they've done some pretty bad things in their past. Um, and so there's actually, this kind of starts off conversation between the characters of Frank Grillo and uh, Gerard Butler's character. 
and Frank's, I think Frank is like, hey, you're a psychopath, man. And um, then Gerard Butler's like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not, because no, I'm not. Toby Huss's character enters, and he's like, that is a psychopath right there. <laughs> and he um, was. Yeah, so that kind of gives you a good idea of um, just the performance that he taps into. Um, he, we were talking, we wonder how much of it was kind of ad-libbed and uh, how much of it was scripted. And uh, I would, I bet he would be someone really fun to talk to in an interview just to kind of get into his mindset as he uh, went about this performance. Yeah, he was a, a spawn from the Adams family meets the Manson family uh, meets the Mary family from Spider Baby from 1967. Look that up. Bring him back. I will check him out. Yeah, Greg's like, what the heck was that? Yeah, yes, yes. That's what kind of guy this yeah. is. Uh, we, we can't leave this review without talking about Alexis Louder. Uh, she stars as Valerie Young, and she is, you know, if you're talking about, think about these horror movies where there's one female lead that survives and, and fights and fights and fights till the very end, and you're wondering, are they going to make it out? This was her. She was amazing, and if you put me in a gunfight, I want her to have my back. Yeah, yeah, and we, we mentioned not very many characters with a moral compass in this movie, but her character actually does, and uh, she she's pretty much the heart of the emotional yeah. core of the story, and she's, I guess, if you could say there's a protagonist in this film, yeah. it would be her. Um, she's the one that we feel the most empathy for, and um, she really carried the heart of the story she on did. her shoulders. Yeah. So, um, you know, major props to uh, Alexis for, for that. Yeah, I, I love going into a film when I have no expectations one way or the other. And normally I do. Normally there's something where I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking I'm going to love it or I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to like this one or not. <clears throat> but nothing whatsoever going in and uh, came out with a very pleasant surprise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, there's some neo-Western elements. There's also uh, kind of a prison break movie. Yes, uh, also yes. a claustrophobic thriller and, um, and a shootout, shoot 'em up yeah. type movie and all of those rolled into one and it's um, it's a really fun time and uh, I'm glad that I got to experience that with you considering <laughs> that you had absolutely no yes. idea what you were walking into yeah, and uh, you me had too. a great time with it. So. Yeah, I did, I did. Uh, for me, uh, you know, solid B rating. Uh, it was it was well worth my time. Uh, it was a little over 90 minutes, I guess, I one it time. Was about an hour 47, okay. something like but that. But it went by so fast. Yeah. It was just a, a solid paced film. From, from top to bottom. I re really appreciated Cop Shop. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts, comments, or are you going to give your grade? Uh, solid B for Cop Shop, and uh, I'd recommend um, checking it out if you get a chance, if you feel safe and comfortable. Sounds good. Uh, well, before uh, the break, I do want to talk about this new Clint Eastwood picture that is in theaters. And also on uh, HBO Max, we did get some uh, some uh, non-viewer mail, and, and they said, uh, you know, where is it? Okay, this is from... Bella from Bellwood. Bella from Bellwood says, you know, I really think that Thomas is a macho man. So today I'm crying macho for Thomas Mann. And give me some thoughts on, on this Clint Eastwood right. film. To cry macho, this is starring <laughs> and directed by Clint Eastwood at the uh, ripe old age of 91 years old. Um, and he... He's playing a character who is, I think, like probably 20 years younger than that in this film. And you can definitely tell that the ages don't quite line up um, just from the way his screen presence. He, he yeah. kind of lumbers around. <laughs> but still, I have to tip my hat to him. Uh, I guess tip my cowboy hat to him. Oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, sorry, like a lot it. of puns like today. <laughs> um, because um, he's been doing it for however many decades, like six decades plus. And um, 
continues to, I mean, his name brings people out to the movies um, or brings people to HBO Max to watch right. it like I did. Um, he's one of the few of that gener few remaining filmmakers of that generation um, that you can just put his name on it and say, okay, I'm going to go see that film. Right. And uh, this is definitely, um, it's got some Western elements to it. Uh, I kind of described it as a um, sad old cowboy Clint Eastwood type movie. Um, he is, um, he's tasked with... Did you say a sad old cowboy? Sad old cowboy Clint Eastwood okay. movie. So, he's, he's tasked with, um, he lives in Texas, he's tasked with going down to Mexico to um, get his friend's son who um, his friends believes that his son is being abused by um, you know someone out there so he's tasked with going to get and bring him back um, and then it's just kind of a journey of um, you know self-discovery for Eastwood and also for this kid that he brings back so kind of a father-son story yeah. or I guess grandfather grandson yeah. type story um, just very tender-hearted and um, very just kind of um, slow and relaxing in a sense um, but it's just got a uh, you know really beautiful heart to it. Okay, so would you compare it to to Charlie Chaplin's The Kid or Logan? You know, you're talking about that older person and then that younger person on this kind of journey, this road trip. Yeah, yeah, it definitely has that. Um, you know, we we've talked about The Kid multiple times, and uh, that was um, back 100 years ago or so, and just you can see that um, that main storytelling component pinpointed in so many different films over the past past century and this is another one of those um, where and Clint Eastwood actually saw the kid in theaters when it was released uh, he probably did yeah yeah um, and um, cinematography here uh, so Ben Davis is the DP on this uh, he's actually going to be the DP on the Eternals coming up with uh, Chloe Zhao um, and so you got a lot of the uh, like you know the Texas and uh, Mexican deserts, yeah. uh, very beautifully photographed, um, and um, this is kind of just a story of Eastwood's character reflecting. Um, he he has lines like, "Well, I used to be a lot of things," wow. um, and yeah. then like, I, li I really like this line: "Look where you're going and go where you're looking." Ooh, um, so that, that that's kind of just um, the the mood that this. Uh, film set you in, and it's one of those that just you know nice, easygoing afternoon watch. It's not okay. it's not too stressful, but it does kind of tuck on the heartstrings, get you thinking. Okay, so is it one of these films that as we are uh, approaching, we're the, really the the, the the doorknob of award season, getting ready to open it up and start looking in, and uh, those kinds of films are starting to be talked about as we've talked about the festivals. Is this one that you feel is going to be talked about at any point in any way? I don't really see it as that kind of film. Okay. Um, he, I think Eastwood, every, pretty much every award season, he has something that um, might sneak in for an actor category uh, right. because I know um, Kathy Bates a few years ago for Richard Jewell yeah. snuck in. Um, I don't really see that with this one, okay. uh, but I just see this as him, um, you know, Pouring, pouring something from his heart gotcha. onto the screen. Yeah. Um, and, and then at 91 years old, yeah. to still be doing it and to, uh, for people to still care about what he's doing. You know, he, he's unlike some of these filmmakers who make 40 or so films a year just to be catching a paycheck. He's very deliberate on oh, yeah. the choices he makes. Yeah, yeah, he, he knows the types of stories that he likes to tell, and, um, but he finds a way to add certain ingredients to each retelling of similar stories to gotcha. where it's not like you're watching the same movie over and over again. Like, you can, you know it's an Eastwood film, yeah. but um, it doesn't feel like he's just completely recycling everything. Gotcha. Okay, the movie is called Cry Macho, uh, and it's all about Thomas Manning being the Macho Man. What is 
your rating for this? Solid B from Cry Solid Macho. Solid B, yep. okay. Cry Macho, you can check it out in theaters, and you can also check it out on HBO Max, uh, Eastwood, in a uh, Western-esque kind of film. We're going to take a uh, quick uh, intermission right here on Meet Me in the Movies. Uh, Greg Tillman's telling us we've got some, uh, got some uh, folks that want to sponsor this, and he's going to share some stuff uh, about who they are. Take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about uh, Boris Karloff and also Citizen Kane. Uh, right here on Meet Me in the Movies, uh, multi-man in the second. That's Thomas Mary. Hang around. What's up guys, Luke Combs here. North Carolina has a major problem with litter on our roadways. Um, we all have to do our part uh, to clean up this mess. And just remember, trash belongs in a can, not on our roads. Don't trash North Carolina. North Carolina is still the kind of state it was when I led it. And this is a way to stay healthy, to bring the economy back, to get our children back in school. This is the way to do it, and I'm so proud of the progress we're making and proud to have gotten my shot with my good wife today. You have a spot, take your shot. Won't you come and meet me at the movies? Won't you come and watch Hello, welcome back to Meet Me at the Movies. Noel T. Manning II here, hanging out with Thomas Manning. The Macho Man right here on Meet Me at the Movies. Greg Tillman back there on Mission Control. I do miss Greg in the studio uh, because we actually got to hear his voice a little bit. We're still trying to work on uh, some technical uh, aspects of this to see if we can get his voice uh, in our ears. Again, don't know if it's going to happen, but we'll try. Uh, otherwise, uh, it's just like watching a silent movie with uh, Mr. Tillman back there, which, you know, it's not all that bad. It's not all that bad at all. We can, we can interpret what he's saying, and if we can't, we'll just make it up. Uh, speaking of somebody who uh, got their start uh, in silent films uh, on stage and uh, really was around for quite a while and, and takes me back to my childhood, not because I watched silent films, but because the first film I ever saw starred this guy. Uh, back when I was a kid, there was a uh, standalone movie theater uh, in Aden, North Carolina, and my mom would take me to these monster matinees. Frankenstein from 1931 was the first film I ever saw on screen, and it was, you know, it was decades later but no, i was just listen hey hey i'm talking here my mom's not here she can't you know you're not my mom <laughs> 
But I remember watching Frankenstein from 1931 on the big screen and just being amazed at cinema. And a big part of that was because of, of Boris Karloff. There's a new documentary uh, called Boris Karloff, The Man Behind the Monster. This comes from Shout Factory. Uh, and he was known as the Frankenstein monster, also known as the mummy in these universal horror films of the 1930s. Uh, he had a career of 60 plus years, so six plus decades, you know, talking about Clint Eastwood. Uh, Boris Karloff was on stage, he was in silent films, uh, he was on TV, he did this shock theater thing in the 50s and 60s. He was also the voice of the animated Grinch. So he was known far and wide for decades. Uh, this documentary uh, doesn't just provide a biography uh, of Karloff and a historical overview of who he was in film, but it also really looks at uh, his impact on culture uh, and uh, what was going on during the time that the films, especially those early films uh, during the 30s, uh, had and, and his impact on that. Uh, hour and 40 minutes long, it does spend a good amount of time uh, uninterrupted time looking at Frankenstein. Uh, not just the movie, but the backstory behind the making of it, uh, and also the, you know, why this film was wanting to be made uh, by Universal. Bella Lugosi, who was known as Dracula, was actually lined up to be Frankenstein, uh, the Frankenstein monster, but he chose not to do it because there wasn't enough dialogue. Uh, but Karloff, uh, he's just so distinctive in his look, uh, he was really uh, the, the perfect uh, hit for this. Uh, it's hard to believe 90 years since that film uh, was released and uh, they had actually started shooting the film uh, weeks before Karloff was signed. So he, it was in two or three weeks and then once he was signed then he came on and, and did, did his role. Uh, the film has archive images, interviews with Karloff from, from the past of course, interviews with film historians, Karloff's daughter, uh, filmmakers like John Landis, Guillermo del Toro, uh, Roger Corman, Joe Dante, Ron Perlman, and also Leonard Malton. Uh, they're giving a lot of inter inter interesting information uh, about this character. Um, he really was a pioneer also of the early Screen Actors Guild. He understood that, uh, that filmmakers needed to uh, have a say, not just those who were the producers, but the actual actors. I really appreciated that. I learned a lot uh, from that as well. I will say that there was an odd structure to this documentary. Um, you didn't really get into Karloff's early backstory, his life as a kid, until 30 minutes into the film. Uh, some of the interviews, actually most of the interviews, used a green screen, and it was not really well done. Uh, I didn't quite understand why there was a green screen with the interviews. Uh, the editing uh, was, was off. There were editing issues throughout. The pacing wasn't quite there as well. All of those things are really distracting from something that had solid content. I mean, the content of who this guy was was pretty amazing. Uh, it had great potential, loved the subject matter, uh, the supporting interviews. The interviews were, were solid, but just not the way they were shot. So the execution of the decisions made in pulling this together, I think, is where, where this really, really failed. Um, Feature-length documentary, maybe it didn't need that. Maybe it could have been a lot shorter. So I think they stretched things out, but uh, the execution was poor. So. C-plus rating uh, for this film, um, disappointed in that. Boris Karloff, the man behind the monster, I had high expectations. Yeah. Um, so I do, I am wondering, though, about the uh, actual content, the information that is provided. Um, 
When you mention all the different interviewees, you have like Leonard Malton and uh, filmmakers like um, uh, Guillermo del Toro. Yes. So it seems like you have like actors, directors, and um, critics. Right. So like, what do all those different perspectives kind of bring to the table? Do those uh, does the information kind of blend together well? Yeah, I, I thought that um, the choices they made and what the uh, the interviewees were being asked and what they were saying, I thought that was all rich, and and I thought from a fluid standpoint, it felt pretty good. But when you're, when you're watching um, a filmmaker share something about somebody in front of a green screen and it's keyed improperly, that's horrible. And it really is distracting. And that happened several times. It was, it was worse on Leonard Malton than anybody else. And um, some of the backgrounds that were used were just, it felt without purpose. Um, and sometimes you have like a cartoon background of a laboratory of, of some kind of mad scientist. And you found yourself looking more at that and sometimes losing sight of what was being said. And I just, I think that was a poor choice. Oh, yeah, that poor is choice. unfortunate, yeah. But, but um, still worth checking out just for the historical uh, aspect as well. And we have really about three minutes, Thomas, to talk about something else that relates to history. Uh, and that's Citizen Kane, the 80th anniversary of Citizen Kane. You and I got to check it out on the big screen. Yeah, yeah. So it was um, nice to um, sit there and uh, make a Sunday afternoon trip to watch it on the big screen. Uh, we were discussing you actually have like a 50th anniversary special edition of Citizen Kane, a VHS and a script, I think. Yes. And so now here we are 30 years after that. Yes. And it's just like the, the legacy of this film is um, it's unparalleled. Um, few films have influenced cinema, cinematic history like this one. Um, and I'm thinking 20 years from now, there, there will be the 100th anniversary yeah. of it. Yeah. And um, just, I'm sure there will be a whole to do about that. Um, and there's, for good reason, it, it is the way the technical filmmaking um, progress happened in this film um, with the, the shots that Orson Welles composed. Yeah. Um, and of course, the story itself was kind of influenced or lo basically loosely based on William Randolph Hearst. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I know you have a lot to say about the actual filmmaking techniques. Yeah, it, it, artistically, it was amazing uh, and, and it still holds up. And, and you see some of the, uh, the shots uh, and if you see some of the edits uh, and you also see the structure and the way this film was put together with starting out with this kind of newsreel and you're, you're seeing this life unfold and you're like, well, this is kind of interesting. Uh, and then it, then it uh, folds into this, in a, in a way, a mystery, a reporter's mystery trying to figure out, okay, what did the term rosebud mean? And the whole time you're trying to figure that out and you're wondering, does it really matter? And, um, and ultimately, you know, if you look deep enough, you know, yeah, it does matter uh, to that particular character. But artistically, still amazing, still holds up really well. It's not a film for everybody because it is a, a slow-paced film that was shot 80 years ago, and so stylistically it's different. But just the understanding of, of why this film mattered um, and the stars it launched and the careers it launched uh, and uh, you know, exploring behind the scenes what happened in the making of this film and how it almost never got seen absolutely fascinating so uh, I'm glad we got a chance to check it out you, about 30 seconds any final thoughts uh, or comments about Citizen Kane seeing that on the big screen yeah I mean I'll, I'll just maybe want to watch Mink again as well yeah. uh, go back to see a Fincher's film from last year yeah and I highly recommend that Citizen, Citizen Kane still a, a solid A plus for me uh, all these years later just because of the significance of it and seeing it on that big screen was just like wow because I had never been able to do that
before either. Well, we'll leave you with a uh, movie quote of the week. This does come from uh, Jason Sudeikis, not from uh, Ted Lasso, but from Jason himself. He says, uh, being polite and grateful will make people more inclined to help you. And if people are more willing to help you out, you may accidentally get something that you want. So there you go, Jason Sudeikis. Thank you so much. And congratulations to Ted Lasso. Thomas Manning, thanks for joining us right here on Meet Me at the Movies and your incredible insight. Copland, our pick of the week. No, I'm sorry. Cop Shop is our pick of the week. If you get a chance to check that out in theaters, it's uh, well worth it. Greg Tillman, thanks for uh, running the show and staying awake, at least during part of this. Uh, I am Noel T. Money II. Send us your email if you want. Info at c19.tv and your non-viewer mail at that very same address. Until next time, I'm Noel T. Money II. For Thomas and for Greg and for all of us right here, the captain crew of Meet Me the Movies. That's a wrap. Many films to view Until we meet again Next time we see you We'll gladly fill you in We'll tell about the happy and the sad ones We'll talk about the good ones and the bad ones Many films to view Till we meet again